Good Friday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is Real Talk with Keith Smith on the I Love Seville Network. In our building, the Macklin Building on Market Street in downtown Charlottesville, a show today presented by Yes Realty Partners. Real Talk with Keith Smith has turned into just a fantastic epicenter of real estate, of zoning, of land use, of investing. Just the insider and the pros pros perspective of, of real estate and, and entrepreneurship in this community. You, the viewer and listener, can ask questions. You can shape the discussion. You can offer your perspective on any of the social channels you're watching upon. Just put the uh, questions in the feed and our proprietary software will aggregate all your commentary into one place. So very excited for today's program. Judah Wickarrow, if we can go to the studio camera. And let's welcome someone who needs very little introduction. No, not you, Keith Smith. Damn. Valerie Long, <laughs> a partner at Williams Mullen. Live on air, Keith and Valerie, good Friday morning to you guys. So you mean it's not about me? <laughs> it's always about you, Keith. Damn. So you look great, Keith. Pink thank, looks thank, great thank on you. Your thank you. Thank you for boosting my ego. <laughs> so, Valerie, thank you for joining us. Like I said, we said in the intro on the way in, we see each other in meetings and, and, and hallways, and we have brief little conversations, and we geek out a little bit, and yes. then you go your way and I go my way. Um, but thank you for agreeing to sit down with us. I know your, your time is very valuable, and what I wanted to do was take a deep dive in to what we're passionate about, which is housing, and can we make a difference, can we not? We're going to take a deep dive into our 400 and something pages of... How much did that cost you to print, Keith? Put, uh, it, up, put it up on screen so they can see. Yeah. This uh, is the zoning Bible right here. Is Yona watching? Uh, Yona is watching. The Damn. draft zoning ordinance Bible right I can't here. tell you how much I paid for it. Well, though. I have it too, <laughs> except I was not smart enough to print mine uh, double-sided. So mine is bigger that than is yours, so but big. that's the only reason. I, but mine has tabs, more tabs than you do. Can, do. Valerie, will so, you hold yours up? I mean, is that 15 pounds right there? Pretty much. I mean, it's that's... I had to go up to the bigger binder uh, to to do that, and my biceps are getting to work out carrying it to and from work every day, Respect. And carrying it around town. So, but so in but my it's case, very helpful to have it printed out. So I, I respect know, that, Keith. We're old school because exactly. I need to hold it in hold it in my hand and, and look at it. And the good news is it's got pictures in it yes. for, for guys like me, so we yes. can go ahead and get it. But I wanted I wanted to take a little bit of deep dive into it, and you know we have to be uh, somewhat respectful. This process isn't over yet. We're in the middle in the middle of we it. We got a bet on it. We, we uh, Yeah, we, and you know what, Jerry, that's probably a good place to start. She could be in the arbitrator of the bet. I was say, maybe well, I want in. No, because <laughs> no. I always lose. So okay. you, you want in on his side, not okay. my side. So it's on the DZO. Will the DZO be officially greenlit and approved by city council by 12-31-23? That's the over-under. I say not a chance in hell. From my uh, tea leaves reading, Michael Payne is slowing this down. He realizes that Leah Perrier's term, the interim counselor, uh, expires at the end of the year. Natalie Oshran comes in. Natalie Oshran's going to go full steam ahead with the DZO, approved in its full form, Natalie Oshran. <laughs> Perrier does not want that. I say there's not a chance in HE double hockey sticks that this gets approved before the 31st of December. Smith, on the other hand, we got a bottle of bourbon on this. If you want to get in on the action, so what it's really, says yes. What's really going on, Valerie, the bourbon's getting a little light at the it, bar over there. Yeah, and, well, yeah. I can tell that from here. Yeah. We close a lot of deals here. And when we close the deal, we hit so, the bar. So, so, you know, I've actually got crystal balls, and I forgot to put it on up here wow. to take, take a look at it. But, you know, what, what's your uh, read on it? You think we're going to get this passed by the end of the year? You know, for the reasons you all just said, I think that's the 
big question in town. Um, I feel very confident something will get approved. But By the end of the year. I, I do. I, not necessarily. Yeah. At one time, I, I thought for sure, but the dynamics um, you just described, I think, are real. And it's such an important issue. There's such a, a you know, lot of emotion and strong feelings on, on all sides of the issue. And it's complicated. And it's, it's important. It's going to have an important impact on our city for a long time, whatever is approved. Um, but I, I think there's a chance. But I also think there's a chance that um, we could be looking at more like April or May. That's what I think. Um, so apparently I need but, to go to ABC store after the show. I mean, she basically <laughs> said you just lost the bet. That's what she just said I'm, right there. I okay. don't know. I don't obviously do not have any, uh, any Dog in insider. It, no, yeah. no more insider in, um, information than anyone else does other than, you know, appearing at as many of the meetings as I can and watching all the video replays of those that I haven't and trying to, you we're, know. We're going to find out if I really lost in about a week, a week and a half when it, okay. bring, when it comes back to the Planning Commission, yeah. right? Because it, it went through the public hearing portion of right. it. Now it's going to come back for, I guess, discussion. It depends on how much they change it and right. what they change, right? right? If they just greenlit it the way it is, I, I might, I might, I might win, but my suspicion is, is there was enough questions that were popped up, and I'm going to want to get into yeah. some of them a little bit today. Why don't we take an opportunity first for people to meet Valerie? Oh, that's a good idea. We know Valerie, yeah. uh, the professional. How about Valerie? You know, the background, the uh, localized, personalized, and humanized version of Valerie. Okay. Well, first, let me thank you guys for inviting me today. Okay. Um, it's it's exciting to be here, and, and I'm honored to be here, and that you, you thought I was worthy, so thank you. And oh, stop I'm, it. I've been looking forward to it. You're awesome. Um, you are awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so I've been in Charlottesville, I think, what I say earlier. I st- came here in fall of 95 to start law school, and I started practicing here in the fall of 98. Um, and as I was telling Keith earlier, the, I don't know if irony is the right word or humorous, I had zero interest in practicing real estate law. Um, but I happened to find a, there was a job that was a, for a real estate lawyer. So I was fortunate to get that. And it was right in you know, fall of 98. Things were really starting to take off. Mm-hmm. And so it's been an interesting ride ever since then. Um, so I really love living here. Um, my husband, Don, and I, we have two kids. Um, they're, although they're not even kids anymore because now they're 18 and 21, both mm-hmm. in college. Um, so you're an empty nester now? I, apparently so. Good for you. <laughs> so Welcome we, to yeah, the club. Yeah, thank you. It's a little bit um, hard to imagine. But um, the good news is I know they'll be back to visit starting in Thanksgiving and all of those things. So Where yeah. are they going to school? At uh, My oldest son is at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Nice. And my younger son, Landon, is a freshman at Virginia Tech. That's oh, great. So, Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So um, that must, anyway. That's going to make for an interesting Thanksgiving dinner. Virginia, Virginia Tech. How's, you know, that's going to be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Well, Landon's been a Virginia Tech fan practically since birth, so it worked out well that he, he's able to be there. So, so what's your number yeah. one hobby? What do you like to do for um, fun? I like to run. Um, I've been used to do a lot of trail running, trying to get back into that, but just running mostly for fitness, but I also enjoy it. My husband and I run together a lot, mm-hmm. um, so that's fun, and just really just hanging out with family and friends, um, you know, enjoying the time with our kids before they left the nest and um, just have a good group of friends in the neighborhood and enjoy those kind of things and reading, travel. Uh, we do a lot of travel as a family. Um, so I, that's probably higher on my list than anything. So um, so my wife initially struggled with this whole empty nester yeah. thing. 
Me, not so much. But but I guess that's a typical kind of guy mom, dad yeah. mom kind of kind of thing. Uh, but hang in there; it gets better. Yeah, it's good. It it helps knowing they are so both so happy and the yeah. way they want to be. And uh, you know, my son Davis, who's a senior at Colorado, is a huge football fan. And you got you know, Dion. I mean, he is living his best life with uh, Colorado football right now. So it's really, really fun to see him enjoy that. He was a freshman during the COVID year when there was zero football and zero everything fun. else. And zero fun. So he's finally, yes, exactly, getting get to have fun. So it makes it a lot easier when, uh, when they're happy where they are and making friends and settling in. So that helps a lot. You got the local newspaper watching the program, two TV Great. stations watching the program right now. Neil Williamson says the first planning commission work session occurred on Tuesday. The discussion was very focused. I anticipate they will meet uh, the proposed schedule, but city council may slow walk this. Viewers and listeners, what do you think of the draft zoning ordinance, upzoning, rezoning, whatever you guys want to call it? I'd say arguably the hottest topic of conversation in Charlottesville and what? 24 months? How long have we been dealing yeah. with this? Forever? Oh, God. What has it been, like seven years, right? Yeah, if you, if you count the planning, the comprehensive plan, sure. About, yeah. about, about yeah. seven years. It's been in the thing. Yeah. So, should we start open-ended? Yeah, let's start open-ended. Okay. okay. Where do you want to go? Where do you Drop go? zoning ordinance, up-zoning, what, rezoning, what, anywhere you want to go. What topic do you want to oh. pick up on this? Oh, I, did, I thought you were going to choose, no, and no, I no, would no, react. No. You pick, um, you, you're the guest. You pick yeah. the top. Where oh. do you want to kick it off? Um, what, do you like, what do you like the most about it? What I like the most is the opportunity that it provides okay. in every area of the city. I think it's really a bold plan, and I the the basics of it I support completely in the sense that it's going to provide more opportunity for more housing, most everywhere in the city, and hopefully um, less regulatory provisions, less discretionary approvals. Hopefully people won't need our help as much as that, and that's what gives me a lot of... Um, hope for the future going forward. I mean, eliminating the residential density limits is a huge factor. 52, 53% of the city of Charlottesville zone R1, single family detached. A lot of people say that constrains, uh, constrains supply, which is driving price points through the roof. A lot of people say if you lessen zoning or you make it more flexible, more supply will be birthed, which could birth or breed housing affordability. I'm not one of those people, but you're the pro. <laughs> I will respond to what you have to say. Well, in the single-family zoning now, you know, I think it's going to be hard to say. And just like the, um, the pace of change report, uh, you know, had some good predictions that it's going to be relatively slow, I think. But there's a lot of, cha- you know, there's so many ifs, as was noted in that report. Um, I know more, obviously, with the way the zoning is now in the R1 districts, we... I'm not sure I've ever worked on a project in an R1 district or had because any reason to. you do mostly to. multifamily we do, projects. Um, multifamily on the residential side, sure. sure. And so I'm more excited just because it's my world with the mixed-use districts. And, um, you know, right now we spend a lot of our time on rezonings and special-use permits for additional building height and or additional density uh, for projects that um, really could have gone through an administrative process. So I think the goals of this draft by allowing that to happen and and the form-based goals to ensure the design are appropriate and so forth, that makes much more sense for everyone. That'll hopefully allow projects to go forward faster and to get those, especially some of the big projects that have a lot of units in them, um, could have a real, really impactful, beneficial impact relatively quickly 
Um, <coughs> Phase three dairy market. <coughs> Phase three dairy market. John Blair giving Valerie some props right now. He says, "Tell Valerie I said hello. She is awesome. He's watching in Stanton right now. Keith Smith. Well, that's yeah. that's a high compliment from John. So thanks, John. So that's interesting. I didn't expect to take the opposite position okay. of you on on a, on on this. I, I I believe we're in the right step. I believe that um, you know this is going to happen. Some version of For this." Sure. Um, it's either the end of the year and I win the bet or lose the bet and I have to drink the bourbon anyway, so I win no matter what. Um, I don't really I, – I, I'm involved in Seattle and Portland. I was involved a little bit in the Arlington uh, okay. rezoning. It's really not making the impact in those areas that it was predicted to do. And reading through this 400 pages with all these particular tabs, and I'll try to generalize it a little bit, particularly in the multifamily world, and particularly with the, and I'm an affordable housing geek. I chair a bunch of affordable housing things. I don't think this will do zero for affordable housing, the way it's written at the moment, because if you're over nine, which you will be in a multifamily, you've got to provide for 60%. AMI, and I just don't think the math's going to work unless there's substantial. This is a good first step, but then unless there's substantial subsidies, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But so I, I just don't. I think it's going to have a larger impact on the RAs and the R, whatever the RCs and so forth and so on on that. Then I think in your world, I may be wrong, and I'd love you to push back a little bit. Obviously, there's a lot of more discussion to be had in terms of the affordable housing for the inclusionary zoning sections of the ordinance. Um, you know, it's it's obviously important, and we've talked about this a lot, Keith, in, in the context of the county's affordable housing program yeah, sure. and the importance of the affordable housing provisions and requirements have to be viable. They have to work, or the developers won't be able to build the projects. I mean, it's just... You know, they won't get the financing for it. And so it's really, I think the challenge is finding the balance between ensuring that it's appropriate, there is enough affordable housing and at the right affordability levels, but not so to actually produce those units, but not too aggressive that it means you get no projects. And that, that's the multi-million dollar question right there is where is that balance and my hope is that the city will continue to engage with all the stakeholders on that issue to ensure that we find it or at least get as close as we possibly can maybe it gets tweaked you know in six months or a year if it's not working right but I think that's the importance what is I always like to to reiterate and share is that our clients they always they they all want to do their part they they all talk about that. They want to be able to provide units on site if they can make it work. And they all run the numbers, and it's just a matter of, of being realistic and, and hoping that we get there and find, find where that balance is so it can actually happen. But I think if it were, you could have projects that bring forward 50, 60 units, affordable units, all at one time. That would have a tremendous impact on it, it, the city. It, it would. I, I just don't because I've been doing a bunch of ROIs mm-hmm. on different properties and and we'll talk a little bit I, I'm more focused on the single family okay because uh, I'm, I'm more of an ownership sure side of the equation than rental side of side of the equation it's just my business sure but your business is more multifamily but we'll talk about that for in a little while but I just the delta between what it costs right and what you have to rent them for 
is so wide. Right. I just don't know if the math's ever going to work. Yeah, it's hard. And yeah. then, of course, if you know, then the market rate rents have to go up more, and then the cycle just sure. you know continues and gets worse. So it is a challenge. Um, again, that's why I hope that everybody can continue the dialogue and try to figure out what how to make it work so everybody's goals are achieved, that we get more market rate units and we get a lot more affordable units and we get good projects out of it. And so. um, uh, Lloyd Snook, Mayor Lloyd Snook sat in this chair and, and we had the same kind of conversation. And I think he's cooling on this, that, Mayor Snook. I mean, that, that, that may be the case, but what he talked about here was you, you, you mentioned ratcheting it, right? And there was a lot of discussion at the Planning Commission about this is a living document, mm -hmm. right? And I get that. Um, but we might want to talk a little bit about what's required, because once this gets approved, whatever version it is, you know, there's a thing called a ZTA, right, a Zoning Text Amendment. We might want to talk for those who are not as geeky as maybe you and I <laughs> on this, or Jerry, what that really means and what that process really looks like. Because if we approve this and, let's say, the mayor wants to tweak it a little bit, or the council wants to tweak it a little bit, what does that process look like? Before she answers, she's going to like to hear this. Carlos Franco says, Valerie is the smartest real estate attorney I know. Wow. He's putting that Well, thank feet. you, Carlos. And there's a dozen comments like this for Valerie, wow. giving her some props right now. So she's well-liked. Well Valerie, the thank show is you, yours. Um, sorry, I've already forgotten what the question so, is. So oh, that zoning test, what is that process if they update it in the future? Um, it would be just a shorter, hopefully shorter, smaller version of what we're doing now. Zoning text amendment, any, you change one word to the, in the zoning ordinance, that require, that's changing the text of the ordinance. So it's a zoning text amendment, ZTA. And so that has to go through the same process. Uh, you know, it has to be submitted. It has to be reviewed by the Planning Commission. The public, public gets a chance public to gets a chance to weigh in. Pu has to be a public hearing. could be yep. a joint public hearing, with, which is how they typically do their hearings in the city, Planning Commission with counselors in the room, or it could be two separate public hearings like they envisioned for this ordinance. But it, it could also be, could be fairly quick. The city has, in the past, done some kind of standalone zoning text amendments here or there when they discovered that they, you know, had reason to do so. Um, it doesn't have to be a year-long process. It could be a two-month process. So, I mean, correct. It, it, realistically, it's about 90 days, I think, the quickest you can get it by the Probably. time that they decide to do this, run through staff go through the planning commission and end up back into it but it's That's important probably to, reasonable it's important to it's important to point out that if the the word living document and tweak is used there is a public process absolutely in this. so you know once it gets approved to go ahead and amend it is a public process it has to follow a very formal process to change it just somebody in and the count in the city can't just decide to change this. Correct. And I think that's important to get out because some folks may think, you know, they'll be able to switch it a little bit behind um, closed doors. And I don't think, don't, no. I don't. Sorry, that's good. I didn't realize that, that was the thought. Well, so, yeah, um, I, no, you're exactly right. It's absolutely, it's the same process to review and approve a rezoning or a special use permit. Exactly the same process. So, so they will um, have, you know, if somebody wants to, 
like if, if, a, if, if an applicant wants to do a ZTA, then they have to hire you to go through the whole well, process. Well, they, they don't necessarily have to hire me, but they have to go and ask planning commission or staff or council to initiate to the ZTA. Business. So thank you. I think you. she's got plenty of business. <laughs> I think she's got so, business for days um, over here. Yeah. There you go. So, I'll throw this to you here. I'll play devil's advocate for the sake of a talk show. I've also been pretty uh, adamant with my stance on this upzoning on this network. Um, uh, for a couple years here. Um, upzoning makes land more opportunistic. Opportunistic land leads to more speculation. More speculation leads to higher price tags. Higher price tags on said land means deals closed at higher price points. Higher price points for purchasing of opportunistic land means investors want more return on their money. This is all coinciding when the cost of goods, COGS, the labor market and the financing market are arguably the most expensive they've ever been in American history. Plus construction costs. <laughs> Plus construction costs, part of the cogs right there. Um, I don't think upzoning is going to create any kind of affordability whatsoever. And I also, and I've been very adamant about this on this talk show uh, many times, that I think the land that's going to be upzoned and the land that's actually going to be developed is land that's going to be adjacent or very near neighborhoods that are on the financial margin that historically or generationally have been either forgotten or afterthought, afterthoughts. A perfect example of this is the twice as nice thrift store, the Preston Suds parking lot, the Preston Suds laundry mat, and the parking lots next to them. Very close to Fifeville, a community that is historically African American. Phase three of Dairy Market, Chris Henry and Stony Point, 400 apartments leading to housing for 600 people, 1.5 people per apartment. He got what I would characterize um, the response as, uh, how would I characterize this response? Volatile, uh, the response was intense, the community response was heated. The reality is he can do this once upzoning is approved according to the letter of the law and doesn't really even need community feedback. What Chris was trying to do, then I'll get out of your way, what Chris was trying to do was, I want to be a good steward here and hear what the community has to say and do phase three based on what the community wants. The reality is, once this DZO is greenlit, whenever it happens or approved, he doesn't have to do that. So I'm kind of just, I'm yeah. the host, trying to yeah, keep the discussion yeah. going here. I mean, the, the process you described is, I think, the inherent challenge and the planning commission spent a lot of time talking about this on Tuesday night, this exact issue, and the, you know, the challenges of wanting to provide opportunities to create wealth for families in all neighborhoods, but particularly neighborhoods that have been racially discriminated against by the city. Marginalized, probably, of course, especially in those communities, because we all know, Keith probably says it better than me, but Owning a home is the best and fastest way to accumulate wealth for individuals and families. And that's an important goal and opportunity for all of our city residents to have the benefit of. At the same time, that comes with the types of challenges you've just described. It is a tough issue. And that's, you know, probably sums up the big challenge with this process exactly. Um, I certainly don't have any uh, magic bullets there. But I think it, it's important to, I think the process is going to play out well. The Planning Commission certainly seems very focused on trying to figure out a way to find some balance in those situations, but also, um, you know, 
respond to the feedback that they've received from the 10th and Page neighborhood and others about their concerns. That's the tough part of zoning and you know, land development regulation in every community. Uh, it's and she's right, 10th and Page. I called it FIFO. She's exactly right, 10th yeah. and Page. I misspoke there. Thank no you worries. for that. So, so back on that, and, and this is a perfect segue into what I've been looking at. I've been looking at a, uh, for the land trust, a piece of property uh, that just happens to be also owned by uh, Chris Henry and the Paul Manning Group over there in uh, Dairy Market LLC on the corner of 10th and West. But before I do that, um, you know, um, I, I'm a firm believer in plagiarism. So there's a dear friend of ours, um, Robert. I admit it publicly. I believe in it. Uh, Robert Liberty, Robert Silver Li Bullets, Silver Buckshots. That's exactly right. We spend way too much time together, him and I. He finishes, <laughs> my, he, he finishes my thoughts. Uh, but there is no silver bullet to this, to quote the great Robert Liberty out in Portland State University um, and, and the University of Washington. Um, there are, there's a silver buckshot, right? So there's no one solution. So um, if Judah wouldn't mind, I, I want to take a little bit of dive into this, right, sure. on it, because we, we brought up that neighborhood. So um, You're talking 10th and Page. 10th and Page, if, if Judah wouldn't mind putting this up. So what I have done is uh, I've done a, an ROI and a performer on this. And um, I took a look at that under the current proposed zoning. What could I build, right, as the land trust? I also looked at it, what can I build from site conditions, right? So we, we've got, I brought in an engineer, civil engineer, ship engineering, to take a look at that. What could we build, what we can't build? So what we can build under this, we, by, by ordinance, we can build six. But physically, we only can fit five. And on, what, what's the proposed zoning on this parcel? So on that'll, these be an, that'll be parcels? an RA. The, okay. The, the, the RA, so that'll be a maximum of three. Right. So it's, it looks like it's four it's six. six. It's five. Five parcels. Five, Got it. Five parcels. Um, the the current zoning is one SFD, mm -hmm. right? Um, one single family detached. If this gets approved the way it's written, we could put six, but we physically can't right. fit six on there. So that's another consideration. We'll do five. And what we're doing, and um, I sent you to a link, but the land trust built um, a homes on Nassau Street. Right. They were fifteen hundred square feet. Three bedrooms, um, two baths, has solar on them. They're true net zero homes. Wow. Um, and I also know, as the chair of the land trust, in order for me to sell one of them to a 60% AMI right now, the maximum amount of money that that buyer could pay is 200 grand. It's really closer to 175. Wow. But, but I'm a Marine and I got to keep it simple. So okay. I call it 200 grand. Wow. So I took those and I re-ran it through all the contractors to the current pricing. It costs, it'll cost $350,000 to produce them. We have to sell them. So we're short $750,000, which means we need to now go get a grant to go ahead and do that. And oh, by the way, I've got to borrow $1.7 million to build them to go in through that. And so the reality of it is, I don't think I can get that to work. And the reality of that is it's probably going to be three homes that are probably going to be in the high fours, low fives on that. And we may not get this because they're, they're working on this, which is great, but nobody's talking about the money. 
And if, if that 750 doesn't get found, and that's grant money, that's free money, we can't charge that back to anybody, we can't pay interest on it, we need to have grant money of $750,000 to produce five four permanently affordable homes. And I want this to work in the worst way. That's not going to work. But I, unless I can find somebody to donate $750,000, right. I just don't know if I can make this work. And does and that's that include my struggle. land costs, by the way? Yeah, it's a, yeah, three fifty is all in. That's okay. acquisition, development, uh, vertical construction, horizontal yeah. construction. All the contractors are doing it at cost. Right, but right. I, I just I want it to work. I just don't know if it will. Yeah. No, I I mean this is a great example of the challenges the, and the realities of trying to make this work. Like I was describing earlier, is um, it has to work. Or it can't happen, and, and it's, we're a nonprofit. It's kind of gut wrenching for you to walk through this and and to hear the realities of what you're talking about. It's um, that's why I think this is all window dressing. I, I, I think upzoning is all window dressing. I, I don't think it's, it's window well, dressing. I think I think they believe that everybody wants this to work. Yeah, I just don't. But think they're it, not businessmen but, and businesswomen. But this is an example. For example, and I know obviously you wanted to do five affordable units, but if you weren't a nonprofit developer, what if you had one affordable unit and the other four were market rate? Could you meet the affordable limits there? Well, that's a different story. Right. But I think that's... Well, that, there is no affordable limits because according right, to... But if you wanted to. Yeah, correct. If you correct. wanted to do that... Um, you could. And, and that's where, as best I can predict, maybe we'll see some some progress on the margins. Now, it's definitely not the silver bullet. Well, I can, I but will can, that one affordable unit here is more than there are now? And then you've got four market rate units. Those are four four new families that have a, five new families that have a place to live. And what she's talking Charleston. about is don't let perfection be the enemy of productivity. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she's talking and about. So, and we saw that with previous council regimes. Yeah. And I'll leave it at that. So you have you get one, one affordable unit here. You wish you had more. But hopefully... You have more of this going on all around the city, and at the same time, you have more multifamily projects coming online with big slugs of affordable units. And and you you get a little, you make progress in different places and different ways through different housing products all around the city. Thank you. For that, coming that's on. what I hope and think will happen. I think that's generally the goal of of this. Is but will it happen? That's the question. I mean, Neil Williamson calls it an evolution and not a revolution. I would agree that, with that. That's that's probably a great way to phrase it. Yeah, but now, now, from the land trust perspective, we probably couldn't do that, right? Sure. Right. But if a private developer, private developer is not going to do that. Well, they, they may or may not. It depends on their ROI, and I have not looked at it. They could make it work. I know plenty of private developers who would who would do this if if they can make it work. They still have to make a profit on the four other units, but if they can make it work, I know plenty that would try well, to do so. Well, that's what we so. did with Stanley Martin Homes, one right. of our great sponsors. Right. We did twenty three of them. They literally did exactly that same sure. same thing. So the what that would look like is from a land trust perspective that fifth home single-family detached home over there, they would just deed over that land and stuff to us. Yeah, and, then and let you all. Let yeah. us go ahead and right. sell it. So that would be forever right. affordable. And, and there's a lot of community benefit in that regard, too. Let me take some notes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How about this question that's come in? Uh, this is from Grayson, who's watching in North Downtown. Jerry, bring up your topic that you've highlighted on the I Love Seville show about upzoning not only impacting the marginalized neighborhoods, but the easiest path to development. Please ask the attorney this topic. 
So this is what I've said on previous shows. Um, the easiest path to going vertical for a developer is to get, um, is the word contiguous? Lots that are like next to each other? An assemblage? An assemblage. So what I've done in this building, it's an HOA building, is assembled units, which allows me to control the association. That's what's happened here. Okay. Okay? That happened over a eight or nine period of time because I actually read the bylaws, and no one reads the bylaws. It's <laughs> so true. Okay. So I saw the percentage that was needed. Well, it covers the restrictions. And just right. sprinted to that number. Um, so the assemblage uh, is paramount for development. The assemblage, the easiest path to accumulate or aggregate is tied to affordable price point. And the affordable price points in the city of Charlottesville right now are not North Downtown, they're not Belmont, they're not Park Street, not Johnson Village. They're probably 10th and Page. And I would argue those are not even affordable. They're probably some of the off streets on Cherry. And they're probably Prospect. So I've made the statement and the, I thought a very convincing argument, uh, that those three uh, localities, those three neighborhoods, that's a better phrase, are going to see the assemblage happen, which will create um, development and neighborhood characteristic change. Topic for a conversation. That's what Grayson wants me to bring up with you. Well, you know, again, I'm no expert on the, you know, residential real estate, single-family homes, and so forth. But, and you may be right, Jerry. I, I don't know. I, um, but I think about. The size. So I lived in the Greenbrier neighborhood for 14 years, and where the mayor lives. um, We actually had an. Our lot was an acre and a quarter. Wow, that's big. And it it could easily hold. It could have under the, you know, it it could have easily held two more houses, if not three or four. Um, There's a lot of lots. Not many that are that big in Greenbrier, but there's a lot of very large lots with houses sitting very far back from the road as ours did, you could easily put another house in the front yard, turned to the side. Um, I think every neighborhood in this city is desirable. I think there'll be interest in adding units in every neighborhood. But, and sure, will the cost, the lots, or the land be a cost little higher? I don't, I don't know. I'm, that's not my area of expertise. Okay. But my hope is that there's going to be... Um, There'll be opportunity in neighborhoods like Greenbrier and Venable and other neighborhoods where there is not any opportunity now for more families to move in. And I think there'll be, maybe they're not affordable units. Maybe those are part of market rate units, but it frees up more, you know, those three or four families or however now have a place to live. And they can live in the Greenbrier neighborhood and like every school in the city, you've got great public schools and it's convenient. It was Really, a great, convenient location when we lived there. Greenbrier's um, great, but but there's a lot of, you know, and I know part of the challenge is some of these neighborhoods, unfortunately, do have restrictive covenants that don't allow that. But hopefully, there's other neighborhoods that that currently do not allow any subdivision or sublots that now will be able to do that. And you know, if I still lived in Greenbrier, I would try to do this. I'd have to figure out how to get the financing for it and find somebody who could, um, you know. I'm sure you could find uh, the money. But anyway, but it's, my hope is that the scenario you predict won't, it won't be that harsh. Certainly 
price drives a lot. So I'm but, the recovering developer at the table. Okay. Um, I like to think I'm in my eighth step, which is making amends, but I'm probably really in my first step, um, which means I haven't recognized I have a problem. <laughs> which yet. means he still wants to do it. <laughs> and he's oh got my, ideas over oh there. Oh, my God. Right if, I was, if I was 20 years there younger and didn't yeah. lose $17 million, I was, mm. I was walking... Uh, a client through a new construction. Uh, we were doing a home inspection in the middle of it, right during the framing stages. I built like 600 houses and all this kind of great stuff. And I was walking through there smelling the sawdust and I was like, oh damn, I missed this. Oh. And then Yona goes, no you don't. <laughs> My wife goes, no the you don't. The very small margins and the very high <laughs> oh, risk. Oh God, and that's, yeah. a whole, that's a whole thing. Everybody right. thinks about oh. make money. Carrying debt service, the unpredictable market, 2024 being more expensive, the labor shortage, the cost of goods, the financing. But to Jerry's specific question, you work for developers. I'm a recovering one. What is the hardest thing for a developer to do? Not all this. What is oh, the one such hard, a question hardest thing? Get their financing? No, assemblage. Oh, sure. That, uh, well, what I was going to say is take a discretionary application through the city or county zoning process. <laughs> no, the second thing is getting your your freaking uh, bonds back. We're on year yeah. number four That's with Nassau Street, a nonprofit. We're on year number four, and I can't get back. That's why company. I think the assemblage is going to happen in the neighborhoods that I outlined. Except I, I will look you in the face. I've done enough of this in my life. There's one investor in the 10th and Page neighborhood that owns a couple hundred uh, homes alone. Yeah, I don't know exactly who it is. Uh, yeah. But going ahead and putting an assemblage together. Spudnuts property is a prime example. It's in the right location. Yeah. It's at the bottom of the, the new bridge. Right. It is, if it's approved, it's done. But there's a donut hole in the middle mm. of somebody else who owns it who will not sell. Wow. Well, and, and the leases. I mean, there's yeah, a little yeah, bit of, there's yeah, a huge yeah. red flag with how the lease renewals are but tied. The, but that lease has got four years of life left in it. This will take four years to six years, right, to get approved. So once this gets done, to run it through the system, it's going to take years. And that will probably time out if somebody really wants to do that. You, you think it's going to take less time? Two, two. Adopt the ordinance? No, or no, I'm to, talking it is adopted and I bring a project before Oh, to get that. a project through. Yeah. So site plan review. Site plan I mean, review, that, get it done. It's at least two, I think, closer to four years. I don't think they have the res human resources. I mean, that, that is that. a very big challenge that we're already dealing with, we being the development community, whether you're a you know, small custom builder or a large developer, it is extraordinarily challenging to um, get site plans and subdivision plots approved. City and county. It is a huge challenge. Which one's more difficult? Um, they're both challenging. And it's, it's just well it's volume and okay. it's staffing I, I, and resources. The city is much harder than this. Um, is, is, that, is that true? I think the city's. Unless it, it changes. And uh, I don't mean, I'm not throwing any shade. Yeah. The, 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 they're hardworking folks over there. It's just, it is, it is hard. When you, when you. I mean, the Woodards walked away with, uh, walked away from a million plus on Water Street. Yeah. Underground a, infrastructure and said, peace, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this anymore. When a little nonprofit, who, by the way, the city gave $240,000 to do this, can't get back $20,000 that it's been yeah. done. And, oh, by the way, two of the homes have already retraded, oh. and we still don't yeah. have our $20,000. Yeah. I mean, right? That's not how the bond process is supposed to work. That's right. exactly you know, right. There are provisions in state code about when and how bonds are supposed to be released and at you know, what stage, and that is a challenge for 
every developer. So and what happens is then they ask for more information. I know. Then you have to hire engineers and you have to hire lawyers. Update your, bond, your estimates and and it's, and our decision is is keep it right. Wow. It's just too expensive and too much brain damage to, to move to wow. move on. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. Um, Covenants and restrictions, please. That's not where I was going to go, <laughs> but let me go there first, and then we'll we'll let tack, me set the stage. We'll tack, tackle that. No, I wanted to talk about inventory, but we'll do that. Oh, yes, let's. You want to talk about inventory? Yes. Okay. So, um, a little bit of a of, of real talk with Keith Smith on the I Love Charlottesville Network News. Uh, Dr. Lisa Sturvant, who's the chief economist, yeah. you know, I've, I've heard her speak before. Uh, she is going to start coming on a weekly month once a month on the show to talk about Wonderful. the market overall. Yeah, we're really super That's excited. Commonwealth-wide. Yes. Common, well, she's going to do national Commonwealth, and she also has access to a local Ooh. data, so we're going to dive into some local, local That'll stuff. That'll be very valuable. But I had a conversation with her yesterday, and she gave me permission to, to use this. Um, her estimate, and she's a very much so straight shooter, is that inventory has to double before we start seeing any type of price stabilization mm. or, or reduction. So we, we, we literally have to double what we've been selling just to kind of keep up. So well, the inventory is so low now, doubling it is not all that big of a hurdle right. at this point. But the point is, of course... Um, so Yona it's bought got, me it's these socks increase. that I'm not wearing called Captain Obvious. I should have probably... Well, and, and but, let's add this to the mix. Um, and I say this all the time. Blue in the face. Paul Manning Biotech School, $100 million donation by Paul Manning. UVA said this is going to create two to 3,000 incremental citizens moving to Charlottesville and Morrow County, the majority of them with six-figure jobs. Friend of the program, Jeffrey Woodruff, $180 million donation for the Data Science School, two to 3,000 incremental citizens moving to the area with six-figure jobs. Louisa, $11 billion investment by Amazon. Talked to a supervisor off the record. Can't name his or her name. He indicated a thousand new people moving to the area, yeah. tied to eleven billion dollars from Amazon. UVA expanding enrollment and UVA hiring more people to service said expanded enrollment. Yeah. We're talking eight to ten thousand incremental citizens. On top of that, Bloomberg just named Charlottesville number fifteen in the nation. You saw that. I did. Fifteen in the nation work from home. 21% of the population currently doing it, which means it's an opportunity here to take a big city paycheck but live in Charlottesville. Right. right. So that's why this 10th and Page property will end up with three homes in the five to six range. And I think that's light. Uh, five to six. And somebody, I, seven, I, I tell you, if I was 20 years younger. You would take it and you'd uh, build three, what, 2,500 square feet, if brand all, new? Of, no, no. I, uh, 3,000 square feet? No, actually, I'd probably keep them between 15 and 18. I don't think mm -hmm. you need anything that big over there. The bottom line is, that's where the profit center is. Now, if I was solely, that's what I was focusing on. I didn't spend so much time. You know, it's like you and I. One hand, I make right. this is how I pay my bills, and the other hand, this is my dedica my dedication of, of my volunteer time on it because I I passionately believe that we have to Absolutely. have to do this. Um, but looking at it objectively, that's the path forward, and and you know I can. That's the up. path to profitability. That's easy. Yeah. That's what you're saying. I would net a hundred grand a, a unit. All day long. Wow, I ran the numbers. Yeah, uh, and well, again, those are houses. At least families have some of those new residents. Future residents will have homes to live in instead of living in Fluvanna or Green or Waynesboro and commuting in and clogging the streets yeah. even more. But um, 
it, it, it is a challenge. The inventory issue is a challenge. Some of it is tied to the pace of approval of site plans and subdivision plats. My hope and understanding is that when the ordinance is approved, the city will make some pretty significant investments in staffing and process. I know they've got new computer software coming online soon that I'm optimistic will help. Um, but they're going to need more more bodies down in yeah, City I, Hall I, to help help this. It's a computer software that's coming online, coming to police uh, the short-term rentals or the Airbnbs? My understanding is they have software that's coming, I think I heard November, that will be similar to the county's county view process where it's like an application tracking software program where you can get online and check the status of your um, gotcha. your site plan review or oh your, your special use permit. <laughs> Hope Maybe that would be a great addition to it. Um, so people can understand, you know, whether it's just you know interested citizens can look and see what's been what's been submitted in my neighborhood, or if you're following a project, you know where is it? Has the site plan been approved, or has this? When is this rezoning going to planning commission, public hearing, all of those kind of things? I think that will help a lot. It would ideally uh, reduce the number of phone calls that people have to make to the staff now or emails to staff. Hey, where, is my, where are my comments so to my I, site plan application? So I can tell you in Portland and Seattle what they have done. They've actually increased the application fee, but if you're in affordable housing, you, you check all the boxes in their ordinance, they get a specific assigned staff member right. that takes it from point A to point B. You've got to pay a little yeah. bit extra for that. But to talk about why this bonding is so important and nobody's talking about it, Christopher Bremmett from Bramante yeah, Homes, right? One of, I Look, know Christopher well. He's uh, the best. Great uh, shout out to Christopher death. and Bramante Homes. So uh, shout out to him. But I helped him do their, their, his project on uh, Shamrock. Okay. He just got it oh, yeah. released after three years of fighting it. And he texts me and he goes, Smith, you want to come over for a sip of champagne, <laughs> right? Because it was a big it thing. It was that big of a deal. It was a big of, big yeah. deal. And this wasn't 20 pounds. This was multiple tens of thousands of dollars. And how many units, roughly? Oh, I could you like would ask that. 25? 20, yeah. yeah I, I can't remember like how many it was. It was all by right, right? It was all ready to do it. It's student housing. Right. But, you know, just to talk about how important it was that that money was cash out of his small little company that yep. he owns. Um, that he couldn't use, that just sat right. there for years. Right. No interest on, by the way. I think I think there is any, mm-hmm. but anyway, if there is, it's not enough to go ahead and do it. So this is an important Absolutely. part of the process. Absolutely. I mean, and the, the bigger projects obviously have, bigger you numbers. know, much bigger numbers that, you know, mean that they can't take that, that money, whether it's Christopher or somebody else, can't take that money and invest it in the next project that could create homes for more families. I think so. Jerry's got something. Um, I do. I have a lot of stuff. Um, I'll get to one of the viewers and listeners before my stuff first. This is from Vanessa Parkhill, who's watching in Earliesville. She says, what happens to the threshold for entry in this model while a couple people get affordable units, the entry level price point for those who do not qualify is now higher? Those type of folks are your single teachers, your nurses, your firemen, your police officers. We call them frontline workers. Um, there's uh, Charlottesville Police Department is a proud partner of our 12:30 show, the I Love Seville show, and one of the officers, um, not going to utilize his name, higher up in the department, indicated that a very small percentage of the police force is able to afford to live in the city they serve, um, and one of the challenges the police department has with filling their many vacancies. At one time, it was a third of the department was vacant. Was you could go to Almaro right. or Louisa and Orange and not have to commute 
and ba basically the same wage of the city and live in the community that you're serving. So that's something for both you guys. If we could highlight the future for teachers, nurses, firemen, police officers in this city, because they're not, they're higher than the AMI requirements, yeah. but not by much. I was going to say, is our AMI keeps increasing. Well, HUD said our, our household income for this area is 123300 Yep. I think it was a 19% increase over last year, and the year before that, it was a similar, roughly similar increase. I mean, so I, I think those frontline workers are going to qualify for affordable housing, certainly Eventually. at the 80% AMI. Um, I mean, and that's, that's where you start realizing... Not that we don't all know that we have a serious problem, but... Crisis. Yeah, that... I can add context to that sure. conversation. All of the 23 units that we built in, we meaning the land trust, in Albemarle County, townhome units, the average AMI was 65%, and every single one of them was teachers, cops, firemen, nurses, um, that moved into yeah. that, in, yeah. into those 23. Yeah. Under those 23. So, to your point... That was not at 123, by the way, because we closed them last year. So that was at that 19% lower right. One, number. 111 something. But also, also yeah. the interest rate was a little lower. Right, right, that, which obviously makes a huge difference. I mean, it's, I'll just say um, it's as challenging for the Almar County police officers as it is for the city. The prices in the county, um, the Almar County Police Foundation has a very robust program of subsidizing or providing grants to officers both for purchasing homes and for rental the problem so is that those officers enough. can live in the county where they serve. Exactly. If it weren't for substantial donations from local foundations and very generous folks to the police foundation, they wouldn't be able to do that. Uh, it's, it's such a challenge for all of our frontline workers. So I'm reading so. a text from Scott Carpenter, who is an assistant chief at, at the Charlottesville Fire Department. He, and I asked him the question this morning, how many of his people travel from outside mm -hmm. the area? And he has people traveling from Lovingston, not Lovingston, from um, what's the county south of Lovington? Lovington, help me out, Amherst. Joe. Amherst. Traveling from Amherst yeah, believe it. to work here for a $50,000 a year job, by the yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. And, nice. and because they can't find it. He says most of his new firemen uh, that are working underneath him are traveling an hour, hour and a half. Now, I'm the, I'm the son of a New York City fireman, grandson, uh, great-grandson of New York City fireman. So they don't make a lot of money. That's just, yeah. they do it for, for the passion. Right. The passion of it. But, you know, to go ahead and travel an hour and a half of the people that serve us the most is just wrong. I agree completely. And, and I think most everyone would agree with that sentiment, whether it's a firefighter, a police officer, a teacher, a nurse, a tech, at, you know, in a hospital or a nursing home facility, any, you know, those so, are, I love the term frontline worker. It's such a um, collective term that, and also emphasizes the importance of them um, well, that we all need. And, you know, in addition to the uh, new jobs that are coming that you mentioned, Jerry, for all, for all those reasons, I'm not certain about this, but my, someone told me that the university hospital system is about to hire 200 new uh, physicians. So, of course, those are 200 new physicians and potentially their families, but also you have to have nurses and techs to support them right. and their practices. Uh, the so other little bit of news on that is they're slowly phasing out the contract nurses and they're hiring on actual nurses because, right. they, as you know, they have that some new leadership there. a huge nursing shortage, too. <laughs> yeah, they right. have some yeah. new leadership over there, and that's what they're, they're transferring out, which will, these will be yeah. permanent. Which will, 
uh, residents. Meaning they need homes. They need homes. Yeah. But the, the basic model of the land trust is the frontline workers. Right. That, that's what we're focusing on because the ones that are below that, there's different programs for. Right. But, but, and we want them to get into this ownership model. An example on the Nassau Street um, that we sold our first one last year, resold our first one last year, um, it was a, a teacher, uh, resold it came into it with zero money, resold it, put $50,000 in their pocket, and they went up the ladder. Right. Then the person behind them is getting that benefit. Oh, and Because of the land trust model, it stays affordable, it which stays is affordable wonderful. We haven't talked yeah. um, about the dichotomy or the crossroads of Albemarle County capping the uh, development area to 5%. And in the last Board of Supervisors meeting, it was very clear the political capital is not there to expand the 5% developmental area. So the county that's adjacent to Charlottesville is basically saying, we're not going to allow any more development. It's going to be the urban ring. And Diantha McKeel, Ann Malik, they've come on this program. Ned Galloway, they've come on this program. They've said until the urban ring is at capacity, why would we expand? So the county that surrounds Charlottesville is saying this. At the same time, Charlottesville's trying to figure out a way to add more density. It seems that those two create loggerheads or create a point of friction. Um, that's going to also um, diminish affordability of housing in any capacity. Anywhere you want to go on that topic. Well, it, you know, certainly the very, very small development area in the county is always a challenge in my opinion. But to the county board's credit, they have also been talking a lot about the because of they don't want to expand the growth area, they've been talking a lot about the importance of approving projects at higher density levels, at least at the you know at or near the limits of the comprehensive plan designations and being more dense allowing higher heights and that that is the reality that they have to the process they need to follow if they want to avoid having to expand the growth area so thus far uh, the the board has been very supportive of applications that have come before them you know, by the time it gets to them, it's been through the gauntlet. Yeah. Um, but they have been receptive to them in a way that um, I haven't seen in the, in my practice. So I'm optimistic that despite that, um, that they're going to do their part as well. What are your um, thoughts on converting commercial to residential? Oh, stop. Those shopping centers I, on I Route 89, I, I saw it. And I, wasn't I literally, literally, I, I, I can literally feel it. I think it's, it's a, an incredibly obvious opportunity and solution to do that. It's challenging, it's expensive, but I think... Um, What's challenging and expensive? To to uh, renovate take, or... Um, take a oh, shopping center and make it oh, residential. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. To convert office... I'm told it's challenging and expensive and to convert office to residential. If if I'm wrong, I, I hope I'm wrong. Look, I mean, but, everything is expensive, yeah, right? Yeah. But, but, but the reason it works, and this was a... This literally came out of... And Megan filled in for you, but this oh, yeah. came out of the Regional Housing Partnership Square Table where I was moderating the, uh, the developer incentive... Right. program and it came out of um stanley martin homes was in the room uh, and megan started having this discussion about what does it look like to do that and where the benefit is from the developer's perspective on it i've got infrastructure there already mm -hmm. parking I've got parking i've got roads i think the conversion is probably not going to happen so this is what's happened in scott's edition in richmond they've just demolished industrial buildings or commercial oh, yeah. buildings and just went up because 
Richmond did exactly that. It changed. In this case, it was his industrial zoning right. to allow uh, mixed use. Loft in, apartments in, and things like mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah. So do, do, you, do you think that's going to happen? Do you think that's a low-hanging fruit and they might make that change? I think it is. I haven't heard any reasons not to. I haven't heard the counter argument. So th there probably is a downside to doing that. I'm not aware of one. I think the counter argument um, is uh, inf infrastructure constraints. Well, actually, and one just came to mind. I mean, I know the county is always hesitant to see commercial land be used for things that aren't commercial. They want to make sure, from an economic development perspective in particular, that there are plenty of places for existing businesses to expand and stay in the county or new businesses to start up and grow and that we don't convert everything to housing. Um, well, but the schools are at capacity. And if well, you add more housing, you're, you're straining already schools at full capacity. Well, but again, that's, that's the, the, the situation and, and challenge for every single community nationwide, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. That um, it, it, do you want to accommodate residents current and future um, in your city or your county? Um, or future do you, residents don't vote, though. Well, but they, we still got to take their, their, their coming, right? They're coming. Just, just so like a, they don't vote <laughs> So, um, but it's, but I tell you, back to the thing, uh, back to the planning commission. Uh, Jerry and I talked about it the other day. I was super encouraged by the young people that showed oh, up. Oh, absolutely! Students. That was you don't see. You I never saw that at, at when I, I was there, two thousand to two thousand four, and the only thing I cared about was yep. uh, closing down Coupe de Ville's yep. uh, and one dollar burgers. Yep. UVA students and going some to other play. things we won't talk yeah. about. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, I have talked about. It, but I don't really care. My wife doesn't like when I talk about. It. Um, long story short, I would never have thought to get civically engaged, and I think right. what's happening is the ubiquitous and approachable nature of social media and technology is creating a more engaged student. Which I think is fantastic. That's probably, you're probably right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that and perhaps the you know very high rent prices they have to pay, or, and their or their families have to pay, to live in quality housing that's relatively close to grounds. It's a challenge. It it, it hurts everybody. My so. son-in-law is a, a med medical grad from UVA, and my daughter and him lived in very close to UVA, and this was four years ago. Four, let me see, four five years ago. There was a thousand bucks a door. And I'll tell you what, um, wow. I wouldn't walk in the house. Yeah. I mean, it was that horrible. Yeah. I'm surprised that it wasn't shut down. But 1500 uh, a door on West Main in those yeah. towers mm -hmm. for UVA students. So the... I paid 400 I, I, I've said this before on the show. I, I think X. the big struggle coming down the pike, if we look at five or ten years down the road, is more generational. Right. I heard you say that on the um, episode, I think it was last week, with the realtors from Greene County. Oh, God, you watch. I listened. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> I you. listened. Uh, but it's generational, right? And it's numbers, mm -hmm. right? So I'm a boomer. I'm dying off. My cohort yeah. of 60 million people are, are dying off. The Z and the millennial is 170 million. They're, they're coming in in droves, and it's two things are going to happen. And I, I got encouraged with that on looking at that, they're going to start showing up because they're pissed. Absolutely. Uh, my, uh, my daughter, when we lost, uh, let me see, we lost 13. 13 houses. The one that we oh. won in Richmond, we were the 20th. And she grew up around this and she's getting into business, which I'm excited about. And she looked at me and she goes, you know, I hate you boomers. 
The one I don't know if that was me personal. No, I no, I. It, <laughs> bringing, I think it's, bringing bags of money to real estate. Right. Well, that's I, what's I, happening. I hear, right, they're yeah. they're cash buyers and they can afford to pay a little bit more. Yeah. And you know, close in thirty days or sixty days. No home inspections. No, no inspections. No, no financing contingencies. And you know, if you're a seller, that's tough to pass up. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 I think you're exactly right. It is going to be a generational. I think it already is. It I is. think it's going it's to. It's just not being talked about it, yet. It's going to continue and, and grow. And, you know, we have. You've, you talked the, about this last week. By the way, when I gave her money for a down payment, she said she loved me. So, I bet. No, I bet she did. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those things we have to work hard to not have you know, split our community between the older generation and the younger well, I, generation. But I think you're going to start so. seeing votes going that sure. way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Natalie being elected to the city council, that that's a generational change well, right did, there. She was the top so, vote, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. she was the top vote. Yeah. Right. And also, you know, and, being straightforward here, also an indication that the antithesis of Natalie, which was Bob Fenwick, probably was not the most electable candidate if you're going to run someone that's anti-upzoning, and I'm not trying to throw shade on Mr. Fenwick here, you're probably not going to want to throw Mr. Fenwick on the ticket. There were other candidates that perhaps were more electable. Not taken away from Natalie Osher and winning. I agree with your yeah. point. That was a generational movement right there. Yeah, but I think if you look at her and Payne, they... they oh, they're the same. Oh, the two of them are... The same. They, yeah. it's, and in a good way. I think, though, it's, I think it's been really good to hear younger voices. I think Michael Payne's brings a new, fresh perspective, and... And I think that's been very important to the city. I don't know that we would have necessarily been where we are with this. The other person, and, and I, he knows I say this all the time, I think Rory Stolzenberg joining the Planning Commission was one of the most fundamental changes to the city because he, you know, young, brash, uh, smart, got all the data right at his hands and, and not afraid to speak up in favor of housing and in favor of the younger generation and the renters who need a place to come. That I saw that happen in my practice when he he showed up. You talked about young people showing up. He and Michael Gilligan showed up at Matthew. A, Matthew, excuse me, yeah. uh, showed up at a planning commission and then city council meetings on a project we worked on about probably five or six years ago now um, over on 10th Street in the old Martha Jeff neighborhood, and we were. We, we were like, who are these guys, and where do they come from? They're so, they were so articulate. They spoke so passionately about the need for housing for younger people and people who weren't there to speak for themselves because they didn't have a house yet. But that planning and, commission meeting, a lot of people showed up at that age. Oh, sh- no, not at that. Oh, well, uh, no. He's talking back in the day. Back, back, it, I think it was it. 2017 yeah. or 18. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they were the only ones, and I think that may have been the first time anyone ever showed up making comments like that. And and that was a big change. And then not, relatively soon thereafter, Rory was appointed to the Planning Commission, and, and that's made a big difference. And then you have people like Lyle come along and, and others who are on the Planning Commission now who recognize, yeah, I mean, look at the Planning Commission now. Oh. It's much, much different than it was even four years ago. Well, it's, it's, to your point, it's kind of crazy to say this because I think we're all geeks for this, but it's now become cool. Yeah. Thank you. It's yeah. part of the yeah. vernacular, the right. vocabulary. Right. And it's, I think it's also because of social media because the content has gone from acronyms and a level of sophistication where you may need a law degree or you may need to be a specialist to now the content's out there and it's readable and findable right. and digestible and people can get educated really quickly. So yeah. that's, and that's yeah. the point you're well, making. Are you telling me well, I didn't I, need to print I think this it's, out? That's, 
really. <laughs> no, I mean, but the difference is it's a lot more readable. Yeah. yeah. It certainly will be in final yeah. form, but yeah. it's much more readable and understandable than the existing ordinance, and, you know, the pictures really do help. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> From that perspective, it is a appealing-looking yeah, ordinance yeah. compared to a bunch of text that right. you, you need a lawyer with all due respect no, I mean, to, to in, interpret it. Can we talk covenants and restrictions? We will in a second. Please. Yeah. So on Monday, to, to put, a, put a pin in this, on Monday I've, I've got Maggie Gunnels, we're going to talk Lake Monticello, okay. and I've got another agent going to go out there, and we're going to kind of tackle what happened out there with the voting of this Board of Super... Uh, uh, LMOA board, but in, but in big picture You're on talking it, the HOA, the HOA, but big picture of that. I've been living there since 1987. Just talk about the shift of thinking. Uh, I they got nearly 40 percent of 4,500 lot uh, lot owners to vote. I would have told you two years ago, or two months ago, or two weeks ago, you couldn't get that to the, the, those folks to vote that tomorrow is Saturday, <laughs> nevertheless, yeah. to show up. So I think there's a shift. But we want to talk covenants and restrictions. We, we tackled it last Friday. Okay. And you're an expert, so I'll let I Jerry tee it up. I don't know about that, but... Um... Um, so I'll set the stage. Sure. Okay. There's an extremely heavy hitter that watches this program that we've afforded anonymity to him. Uh, and why we forwarded an anonymity to him is because of his contribution to the program and his impact in this community. Okay. Um, and he lives in the city. His family does. And he's extremely anti-upzoning. Okay. Extremely. Um, extremely uh, deep-pocketed uh, and extremely sophisticated by utilizing the law to his advantage. Uh, and this particular individual, his nickname is Deep Throat. We take a pool from the Washington Post. Yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, Woodward and Bernstein. Um, and Deep Throat has led the charge of taking homes in the city. 28 of them have been done so far. And creating covenants and restrictions associated with homes in the city. Uh, hired expensive attorneys to make this process a reality. Um, and it's basically, I mean, what's, what's the phrase here? You're the expert here. Yeah, it's, so, so let, let, let me simplify it a little bit. So yeah. what they have done is they have put coverage and restrictions on that piece of property, or they're attempting to do that, to any, that, that any future buyer would not be able to do to subdivide or, subdivide any, it or exactly. do anything that's in this document. So they're buying up lots and doing that, or they're convincing homes. owners? Current homes and convincing other neighbors adjacent yeah. to their property. And, and, and the 28 that have been done, he did say this. This puts things really in perspective. Those 28 yeah. did not have a, a financing vehicle yeah. or a mortgage on their respective So homes. the debate that we had So that shows the level of affluence and wealth right. and probably homogenous demographic we're talking here. And yeah. for the benefit of the viewers... If you have a if you have a mortgage or a deed of trust on your property, you have to get your lender's approval, uh, well, written consent for that. Well, I would. There was a lender. Multiple lenders were watching the program, oh. and it was a damn good show. And they said the reality is we cannot police this. If you were to change the covenants restrictions on the house, and the likelihood of us calling your mortgage would be zero as long as the payments are still made on time. And multi one lender even said, in one lender even said that what these folks are doing would almost strengthen what we the relationship we have with them because they're basically promising that they're not going to convert the home into anything uh, multifamily investment, which is part of the mortgage setup right. that they have. But the risk that you take 
is the document that you sign and, and you do enough of this, you are promising not to do that without notifying them. So you run the risk. The brokers, the financing folks have said the likelihood of this being called is but zero. Perhaps, but yeah. they still could. Well, there's could. nothing ever still could. zero. It still, right. it still could, right. It, I, you, yeah, the logic I, I follow for sure, but yeah. um, I've heard of that and I've, I've seen a deed that was recorded, I want to say, in the last 10 or 15 years um, that sounds very similar. Mm -hmm. um, I'm shocked that people would do that. Well, I'll put this yeah. in perspective and I'll get out of your way. Yeah. I, this is prior to meeting my wonderful wife. This is uh, uh, a decade ago. I bought a home in Redfields with my girlfriend at the time, uh, shared um, ownership, dual income to purchase. The relationship ended up not working out. We decided to cash out where I paid a lump sum um, and then I obtained ownership of the house. And the, the uh, deed that was recorded to, to indicate that cash lump sum was clearly that's, that's the financing vehicle. You would say the letter of the law to the mortgage would say I would have to let them know about that. I did not and nothing was called. And, and I get that, but it wasn't a deed restriction. There's a difference. Yeah. There is a difference. Yeah. But I did change what was initially agreed so to. So let, let's let Valerie but, but jump in. So why would you not want to do that? Because if, if you don't support adding more units on your lot, don't add more units on your lot. But to restrict the ability of a future owner to do it voluntarily only lowers the value of your property. Even if you would never do it, and even if you sold your house to someone who promised that they would, maybe it's a condition of sale, that they wouldn't develop it, the property's worth a lot more without a deed restriction on it than it is with it. And so for that reason alone, the other reason, at least in my opinion, I'm obviously not an appraiser or a realtor, but that, that's what, but here's the, here's the situation where I, I saw this deed. Uh, someone I know in town who owns a lot in the city that's quite large and under the draft zoning is designated it may have been rx r3 or it may have been even high density okay you could you could put some more yes, units on it. it but and he and he had bought the house in the last few years sent me a copy of the deed restriction that he knew was there he never envisioned that you know there'd be an opportunity to to do more on his lot sent it to me and he says is there any way i can get out of this the answer was no, practically, because the doc, at least the one I saw, and it was, there were probably 10 or 15 owners on the same deed, and it said something to the effect of, the only way you can uh, remove this from your property is, is with the majority vote of all of the uh, parties to this deed yeah or any other deeds like it that are recorded in the city. So well, I, how do you ever then yeah. prove so that I, you, let, It's impossible. Let, so you're let, never going to get out of it. Supervisor Price watching the program. Let's, let's play a scenario, right? Um, um, I don't know. Pick, pick an affluent street in Charlotte. How about Blue, Rugby Road? Blue Rugby Ridge, Road. Blue Ridge Road. I'm sorry? Blue Ridge Road. Blue Ridge Road. <laughs> I own a home on Blue Ridge Road. I'm very fortunate to have paid it all oh, off. I don't yeah. own anybody, anything on Blue it. None of this is true, by the way. But I put a deed restriction on it. My wife and I put a deed restriction on it. We may put Certainly it in Certainly have a, every right to do so. Absolutely. We may put it in a trust, right, because we're smart. We're going to put it in a trust. My wife and I die. Mm-hmm. What happens next, Coach? <laughs> well, it depends on what your trust agreement says in there terms of who. If your daughter or son 
were to inherit or be the beneficiaries under your trust, they would have the benefit of having this beautiful home on Blue Ridge Road. But, but they want to sell it. But if they wanted to sell it, or maybe they want to subdivide it under the new ordinance because uh, maybe your, you know, their their sibling wants. No, maybe they have <laughs> oh, yeah, you know it. a grown yeah. child yeah, yeah, who yeah, wants sure. to live there. Maybe they have a nanny that they want to be able to live on their home on their property with them. Or maybe I pass away and they want to do a... A a, a, a granny flat for your wife. Exactly. That was... Um, I, that was where I was going, but I think you said you both died, so I didn't use yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they, they now can't do that. Or if they wanted to sell it, yeah. if, if that type of family comes along that wants to be able to do that, they're not going to buy that. The they're going to buy the one. are very slippery slopes. I agree. They're permanent, and um, they're permanent unless you provide very, very specific, clear, easy-to-define mechanisms for how they can be removed, which at least in this one instrument that I read was impossible. And I, so I, I've written dozens and dozens and dozens of CNRs on my projects, and they are always very one-sided, right? They're always one-sided toward the declaring. Sure. They're done that way. You've got to be able to control the project until you finish it. And then you're away from them. Right. In order for them to change, I have to go back and fix them. They have to find me wow. to go ahead and fix them because I'm the declarant still. Right. The declarant doesn't transfer. Now, if it transferred to an HOA... That's right. a whole different animal right. than the HOA. Then that's probably harder than finding you. <laughs> that it would be much harder than finding me uh, on that end of it. So it's it's a look. We're all professionals here. You know, if somebody asks us this question, you have to advise them if they've got a loan on it. You know, technically, you're supposed to notify Absolutely. your lender. You can choose not to do that. Yeah, that that's your decision. But if somebody picks up the phone and you end up having getting called a loan, you can get yourself into a little yeah. bit of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Not just financial trouble. It's, and it's unfortunate because, obviously, it's, it's an end run around the ordinance. Again, everybody has the right to do that if they want to. But it's, it's unfortunate that um, it, it's a short-term... Um, it's a band-aid. It's a short-term barrier to yeah. implementing the goals, the very worthy goals of the ordinance. But it's, it's an impact. It will continue for generations. And it's... Unless the language is clear. So, so I'm going to do, a, 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 I'm going to do an example. Sure, depends on how it's written. I'm going to do an example. Our daughter who bought a home in the West End of Richmond, their CNRs, their, excuse me, their recorded deed flat out says no African-Americans oh. can ever buy that house. My old house on Yorktown Drive had the very same thing. And my daughter was working with Bill Tucker, mm-hmm. one of our great sponsors here, right. and said, I want to change this. And he goes, you can't. Unless the state change well, says... There's, there's now a mechanism you can under state law. Oh. Yeah, you can go back and have them removed from your deed. That's another So, way. I mean, they're not enforceable under uh, Supreme Court rulings. Sure. But, but th- it's they're there, still though. there. Yeah, yeah, and when I, you know, when I was... I don't remember how old I was, but when we bought our first house and uh, reviewing the title work, and I did read the covenants, unlike most people... It, it was there. Now, the title company had put a big red stamp on it that said not enforceable. We knew that anyway, but it was still there. Yeah. And it's just... You know, when we sold so our house, we'll when we sold our house, it was still there. And um, so. You're amazing. Anyway. you got to come back. I would love to. This, this has is been really fun. hour and 18 minutes of just, I mean, pleasure and, yeah. like, info- information. Well, thank you. Like, I would call this a master class. You are oh. seriously a pro's pro. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it's, it's fun stuff. And we didn't even uh, get into all I know. Pages. We hardly <laughs> talked about the ordinance, <laughs> You're right? Great. I have You're it here, so show. maybe I have to come back. Um, no, it's, it's a... It's, I think, I mean, 
Keith said we're both geek, geek out on this. I very much am so. Um, well, all three but, of us, though. He, but, he, it, you know, when, when you live and breathe it, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, we have clients who are really working hard to try and bring units to the city. And there is a lot of interest in investing in the city. I, I try to reiterate that. Um, I, think, it, I think in closing, this is going to yeah. happen, some version of it. I'm going to lose my I, bet for sure, I think, on it. I, don't I just don't think it's going to. I like Top Shelf Bourbon. I know you do. <laughs> Ragged you like, you like nice. top shelf everything. Buffalo Chase, is yeah. that the one? Buffalo Trace, if you can find. He Ragged likes top shelf everything. I do. Champagne taste. I just don't. It, it may be a slow roll. It may be five or ten years down the road. It is not going to have an immediate impact uh, on it. It's going to take a but, long time. Perhaps. But it's better than nothing, right? It's a start. And maybe it starts slow and maybe interest rates come down and it picks up a little bit more and maybe, you know, you do it and, and don't go broke and maybe then your neighbor sees, I've already oh, done that, by the way. <laughs> you know, oh, maybe I'll try that too. Um, I, I don't know. That's why, I, again, I, people will say I'm, I'm biased and I acknowledge that. That's why I think it's so important that in the mixed-use districts that, that you get it right so that those projects can move forward as well much faster knowing that this might in the residential districts it might be slower than some people would would like well um, I, I think ultimately it's going to get approved and then only time is going to tell and we'll, we'll have a conversation five yeah. years from now and yeah. say okay what worked and what didn't work and do yeah. that. but valerie yeah. thank you so much for doing this i just looked well, at the clock you. for the first time and we're way over what we're oh, supposed okay. to be i didn't know what the, the stop no, time was no supposed to be here. but no oh, rules, great no rules. you're the boss you get to set them huh no rules. <laughs> uh valerie long guys she's the partner at williams mullen i think um you can count on her for any kind of legal work you need, Valerie Long, partner at Williams Mullen. Judah Wickhauer is the director and producer. Props to you. Keith Smith, um, the namesake of the show. Real talk with Keith Smith. Thank you. Looks great in pink. i got to give you some props. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I have, uh, we have interviews. And I wore my complimentary I know, you guys matched. I, I should have worn by him. I wish I had the memo. We may have, we may have texted. <laughs> I doubt you texted about what you were wearing. Okay. This is the little BS over there. Real talk with KeithSmith.com. My mouth's moving. <laughs> right now, real talk with KeithSmith.com. The I Love Seville show, guys, is up in 55 minutes, and we got some big-time news to drop. Uh, tune in in 55 minutes. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. Have a great Thanks. weekend, everybody. He's going to tell us, Valerie, when the mics are off here.